Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined as ever by Jonathan Wilson and Who Scored's very own Ben. Ben, I've forgotten your surname completely, but we'll carry on with that regardless. No one cares about your surname, really. We are here to preview the Premier League action, but we're recording right after Gareth Southgate has named his 26-man squad for the World Cup in Qatar. I have my own thoughts on this squad. Jonathan, I'll come to you first because you are going to Qatar. What did you make of his selection? That's fine. I'm slightly surprised Madison's in there. Um, I think Southgate, all the way through from six years, has been in the job. Loyalty has been his big thing. Uh, Madison's only won one cap before. There's obviously all that controversy when he, he got picked and then withdrew from the squad and then was photographed uh, in a casino, um, which yeah, I think didn't go down particularly well. No. Um, so, yeah. I'm slight, slightly surprised. I don't think it's an area where England are, are short, but yeah, his former season has been excellent, and, and I guess he is one of those players who who you feel could suddenly un- unlock a game, even if England are, are, are not playing well or not making headway. He is somebody who could conjure a goal from nowhere because he's been doing that for a Leicester team who've been underperforming all season. Jonathan, do you think in some ways Madison might be one of those that Southgate's kind of putting the squad to appease people, but because not everyone can be in the match day squad, it could be him who's the, who's the full guy quite a lot. Uh, it could be. Uh, my my guess would be, I, I don't think Southgate would have picked anybody to appease anybody. Uh, I think he he was very clear after those, you know, those very poor Nations League games in the summer that you know, he he learned lessons there about not compromising. He didn't quite explain what he meant by that. But I, I think there was a determination after that that if he's going to fail, it's going to be on his own terms and he wasn't going to pander to anybody. So I, I don't think we should see anybody in the squad as, as sort of pandering to media opinion or whatever. I think they're there because he wants them there. Um, my guess would be that he looks at that forward line and he thinks, is the... Is there a spark of magic there that can unlock a team? And Grealish can provide it. But if Grealish doesn't provide it, you've got a lot of very good players, a lot of technically very good players, but they're players who at club level work very well in a system. Grealish is somebody who can sort of step outside of the system. And I think trying to reconcile that with how Guardiola plays has been one of the one of the slight issues for him settling in at City. Uh, were Grealish to be injured or, or to be out of form, there, there isn't much unpredictable there. And Madison does does offer that. So I would assume that's that's the logic in picking him. Would you have, assuming Grealish doesn't start, would you have Grealish and Madison on the bench? Maybe not. So in that sense, yeah, you, you might be right. He might be one of those who who doesn't get in the match they scored. But then again, you know, if, if in training he's playing brilliantly and Grealish isn't, then then he would get in. Yeah, because depending on how England line up as well, you're probably going to have Foden on the bench because I'm, I'm imagining Saka will probably start a fair few games on, on the right-hand side. If they play three at the back, for example, Mount then always plays in the front three when he plays. So that would mean then that you've got probably Saka and Foden on the bench with Grealish. So I think Madison being in the squad is, is a huge talking point and it's probably the biggest takeaway from the squad. I think from looking at social media, that's the thing that, that most people are excited, excited about. They're pleased that he's got in the squad and I watched him play last week against Everton, and I thought he was absolutely fantastic in that game and his productivity this season and probably towards the back end of last season, playing in a slightly unfamiliar role from the right. I think he's been absolutely fantastic. I think he deserves to be in the squad, but my, my gut feeling is is that he's, he's one of the ones that 
potentially will sit out a fair few games, but I'm not Gareth Southgate, and we'll see what happens. Goalkeepers, I think, of a base, and I think there was no surprises in there whatsoever. Ben, the defence, this is the bit that worries me. I, I look at the people that are named in that squad. There's only one natural left-back in there. I think the centre-backs lack a bit of pace, perhaps. What were, what were your thoughts on the defence? Lack of pace is probably the main issue there. Um, I, if, I, if I were Gareth Southgate, I would have taken one of... Um, Gohi or Tamori, probably Tamori, because he has that winning experience with AC Milan. Um, other than that, it, there's not really many complaints per se. You've got players who are experienced in a three-man defence there. Walker's played on that right, that right centre-back role for England, even though he hasn't featured since the Manchester derby. As Jonathan said, it's fine, but there are sort of one or two minor changes you could arguably make. What do you make of the left-back situation first, Jonathan? Luke Shaw, the only natural left-back going. I guess if they played with wing-back, Saka could, could play there if needs be. I know Kieran Trippier has played games on the left-hand side for England, and to be fair to him, he's done well, but personally, I would prefer him on the right. Are you surprised he hasn't gotten a, a natural left-back into that squad? Although, if you ask me to name one, I can't really name one. Uh, not particularly, because I think you probably you end up taking four full-backs, don't you? The space in the squad for four full-backs, possibly five. Uh, and there's a bit of blurring there because of players you can play on as one of the outer outer centre backs in the three. So you've got your your two right backs uh in Alexander Arnold, who I suspect wouldn't have got in had Reese James been fit. I agree. Uh plus Trippier plus Walker. So there's three players to to, to cover that position. Um and they may also have to cover right side of the centre back. And then you've got Trippier and Luke Shaw on the left. So f- from from those four, you can sort of, and you've got Ben White as well, haven't you? Who can who can play as a fullback or on the, on the right of the the three? I'm not sure I'd fancy him as a wing back, but maybe yeah. an extremist he could do that. Uh, I think if things really, you know, if push really came to shove, Jordan Henderson could probably play a right wing back. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think there's options there. I think I think there's enough, um, and I'm not sure there's an obvious left back hammering down the door. Uh, Childers no, no, injury. I would agree with that. Um, even something like Ryan Bertrand, who was hovering around the squad, has been injured for, I mean, months. So, uh, yeah, I think again, if you if you were constructing a perfectly balanced squad, maybe you would have somebody else there who could play left back. But in the absence of candidates, I'm not sure there's any point in filling up a spot in the squad with somebody who you really don't want to have to play. What about Eric Dyer, Ben? You're a Spurs fan. Kind of his form's gone a bit downhill actually since he got his England record. I, I didn't think he looked fully comfortable in the in the last round of international fixtures. Again, that's my personal opinion, but his form has definitely dropped since he since he played those games for England. Obviously, against Liverpool, he made his usual error that led to Salah's goal. Um, he's only committed seven errors leading to a goal in his Premier League career. Four of them have come against Liverpool. As you say, that dip is isn't it great? Isn't well timed for him. Um, but then you have to taking into account that he's also sort of played on that right centre-back role to allow Longley to play in the middle in the absence of Romero, whereas usually it would have been Sanchez in that right centre-back role for Tottenham. He's, you know, he's, so, he's very good on the ball. His distribution is very good. I imagine that's why Southgate has gone for him. Um, you put him in the middle of that three-man defence and you get someone who can spread the ball to the wing-backs. But as you say, his form coming, sort of dipping at this time, just as the World Cup's looming, doesn't make for great reading for him nor England. 
No, left centre-back as well, Jonathan. We all knew Harry Maguire was going to go. We've probably done that to death, in fairness, and a lot of people have done that to death. I, I disagree with it personally, however good he's been, been for England. I just think he's not in a good run of form. He's not been playing for Manchester United. I don't think he should be there, but really a natural left centre-back in there. And Maguire's played more actually more right-hand side himself when he has played for Manchester United this season because of Martinez coming in. So few issues at left centre-back, especially if they go to a back three. Yeah, there are. I mean, I'm not, not particularly worried how players perform in a back two, you know, in, in, you know as a, one of a pair of centre-backs. I think it's very, very different playing with a three. Um, Maguire's form has clearly been a concern all season and, and, and part of last season as well. Uh, and I think this is where you see the problem of a of a, of a scheduling, the, the lack of preparation time, lack of friendlies that, that England had, that they had those two Nations League games and that was it after you know, a pretty disastrous June. And Southgate clearly decided you know, there's, there's two possibilities. Either you give the two games to Maguire and try and build up his confidence, get him back into form, um, try and just give him games which he wasn't getting for United. Uh, you could do that, or you could try out Gay or Tamori. Um, and you couldn't do both without sort of awkward play half an hour here, play half an hour there, which I, I yeah, those were games England wanted to win because they didn't want to get relegated. Um, and, and again, yeah, if, you, if you're only playing half an hour of a game, how, how much do you really see of a player? Or only playing half an hour coming off the bench, how much do you see of a player? So once he decided to start both those games with Maguire, I think it was inevitable Maguire would go. I then thought it would be a choice of one of the two of them uh, to, to go as cover for Maguire. Um, personally, I'd probably have gone for Gay. I, I don't think Tamori's played particularly well this season. I thought he was disastrous in the two games against Chelsea. Um, and, yeah, obviously was sent off in the second one, but didn't play well in the first either. Um, and, I, I, again, I think it's a bit like the left-back the left situation that neither of them has been in such outstanding form to force their way into the squad. And so... Yeah, Southgate's taking a bit of a risk and and will have to rely on Maguire. Maybe he just sort of thinks that left side and right side centre-back, the differences aren't that huge. And he you know, he could push Cody out there or he, he could push um, John Stones there. Um, but I think it looks pretty certain Maguire will will start the first game at least. Yeah, I'd, I'd go along with that. In into midfield, Jonathan Stein with you. Probably straight shootout between Ward Prowse and Conor Gallagher. Southgate's plumped for Conor Gallagher. I think that's probably with one eye on the future, give him a little bit of experience because that that fifth central midfielder probably isn't going to play very much. Yeah, I think also um, he's just a little bit more dynamic, so he could play slightly further forward. If you say saying the player four three three, which I, I, I still think is quite likely against weaker opposition. So games where England expect to have yeah, 57, 58% of the ball or more, I still think it's likely to be a 4-3-3 where you can play Gallagher as, uh, you know, as one of the two flanking players there and he's going to be much more dynamic and aggressive going forward than Ward Price would be. So I, I think it's probably with that in mind. Is there an argument you could pick Ward Price for his free kicks? Maybe, but when do you actually, when's it actually coming to play? You've got Trippier. You got Trippier, yeah. Um, uh, so I, I think that I would, if he picked Ward Prowse, I don't think that would have been a terrible decision either. It's it's fine. Yeah, into the forward line, Ben. I think most people would have expected Rashford to, to get that recall. He's he's been good so far this season. Was certainly very good against West Ham at home the, the other week when I watched Manchester United play. So I think he was always going as kind of the hybrid wide forward slash third striker option. It was that second option behind Harry Kane that was up for debate with Callum Wilson, Ivan Tony, and Tammy Abraham 
in, in the discussion there. Bit harsh on Tammy Abraham, in my opinion, because he's he's been in the squads all along, and then suddenly the tournament's rolled around, and Callum Wilson, who hasn't been in for years, is the person that comes in and, and takes that backup striker's berth. But in Southgate's defence, people always say he needs he needs to pick players on four, and Callum Wilson is just that. Again, it's the same as Madison. Really, he's gone for a player that's in good form. Um, I say harsh on Abraham, probably quite harsh on Tony, who has. You know, been very good for Brentford. He just didn't play that last international break. I guess it's like what Jonathan said, isn't it? Where you've got, you know, Gaye and Tamori didn't play in that last break, even though in the squad, probably the same with Tony. If he was going to be involved, he probably would have played. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I do think it's a risk taking Wilson, given his injury history. But then you got to think, unless Kane suffers a serious injury or is suspended, is Wilson going to play that often? Um, Even if England are pushing for a goal, pushing for an equaliser or a winner, is Wilson going to get the call ahead of Rashford or Sterling ahead of Kane? Probably not. Um, so it just seems that Southgate has gone for the strike and form. And in this instance, it is Callum Wilson. Good, good day to be called Wilson, though, Jonathan. Very few bad days. Uh, I'm just thinking, I'm, I, unless there's something I'm not thinking of, I, I think every time England have picked a Wilson in the World Cup squad, they've won it. I cannot think of any other England players called Wilson. I can think of a, a Clive Wilson, who used to be a fullback, but I don't think he ever played for England. Is there any other, any other Wilsons? Uh, Bob Wilson, but he was Scottish. Wilson from Castaway, but he wasn't a footballer. No. Wasn't even a football. <laughs> That's true. He wasn't even a football. I can't, <laughs> think, I can't think of any footballers called Wilson. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing with Tony as well, I, d- I don't know how serious it is, but... There's potential awkwardness there with this uh, FA investigation into allegations of historical breaches of betting regulations, which, again, it's a, it, it, it's a it, probably a minor issue, but it um, it might just weigh against him when you have a one slot for three people. Wild speculation on my behalf here, so hopefully no one will sue me or anything. But do you think, because Southgate put so much on having good people around the camp, and I'm not for one second saying that Ivan Tony's not a good person around the camp, but he's very, very confident. He's very, very, very brash. A couple of interviews I've, when I've heard him talking about England, I've kind of sat there and thought, I, I bet Southgate's not keen on, on him saying that. Do you think anything like that plays a part? I don't know Tony at all, um, but I, I think personality should play a part. Absolutely. You've got to, you're cooped up for a month with these people. Uh, if you've got somebody who's disruptive or irritating, they've got to be an absolutely exceptional player to make that worth worth dealing with if he you know if you have a player that, and again i'm not saying this about Tony. i do I have no idea no. about Tony's special whatsoever um but but yeah having somebody in the squad who just sort of wears everybody out and grinds them down is not conducive to playing well interesting i mean i don't think there's anything else to discuss with with the squad particularly i think overall uh, go on then, let's, let's give a grade out of 10 ben come to you first would you give that squad out of 10 Hang on, sorry. Are we giving a grade on how good the squad is, or how good a job we think Southgate's done in picking the squad? How 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 we rate the squad out of ten? Uh, give seven point five. Seven point five. Seven point five. So I still don't. So in 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 world <laughs> terms, so the greatest team ever would be ten out of ten. I can't suppose, I can't suppose <laughs> him what he what he what he could what he could have done. Then take all the England players into account. Who who's been picked? Who hasn't? What, what would you give it out of 10? I'm not sure I've explained that any better the second <laughs> and, and I mean, the, the problem is less the selections than the injuries. Yeah. But so, with what he's I got. Mean, well, it's, what he's got is a nine and a half because he, there's hardly anything. We're told, we, yeah, the big issue is Madison. So yeah, somebody who, you know, 
maybe isn't even going to get in the match day squad. And that that's our big talking point. That suggests the squad's pretty much okay. I'm going to give it. A, I'm going to give him a night. I'll give Gareth a night. I think. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm happier with it than I thought I would be, but I've got big worries over the defence. That that's my that's my issue. Centre back in particular, and if anything was to happen to Luke Shaw, then I think England would struggle down that down yeah. that left hand. I'd say, side. I, I I don't like the way it's done either. I don't like. I mean, I get that it's polite for him to ring players and tell them beforehand, but then you get this drip drip of information. I all die. Like I I want somebody to just wander, not even tell us what time it's going to be, just wander out at Wembley and stick the team sheet on the door, like when you got picked for your school team. When you just yeah, you, know, you keep going past the notice board to see if you're in. Oh, we used just, to have that. It was it was horrible. I used to be on the bench so much. The the, the, the sinking feeling of being on the subs bench. Oh, that's brought back. It's brought back horrible memories. That wasn't even football, by the way. This this was rugby. <laughs> I mean, I know I look and I'm built like a rugby player. Everyone's gonna be shocked that I, that I ever played rugby. Yeah, the heart sinking feeling of walking past that board and saying my name on the bench every time. Horrible. Ben, you've got the best-rated England eleven according to who scored. Let's see how see how wild this is. How, how many? First off, how many people in the eleven are in the squad? All of them. It's the best-rated eleven from those, including the squad. So we've picked eleven players from that squad. We haven't picked the best-rated English eleven overall in the Premier League. No, this is the best-rated eleven within the squad. Right, good times. Uh, John Pickford in goal. Uh, we've gone for Trippier at left back and Alexander Arnold at right back. Then a centre back partnership of White and Dyer. Uh, Rice and Bellingham are anchoring the midfield in a four-two-three-one with Saka, Madison, and Foden behind Harry Kane. The problem is that Alexander Arnold and Foden derive, uh, yeah, they're great players, but I think because they play in such idiosyncratic teams, they find it quite hard to transfer that ability to England. Yeah, I'd agree so, with that. So. Um, I'm not, I don't think I'd have either of them in my first choice England eleven right now, which is not to say that they're not in the top ten footballers and English footballers, but you know I think Foden has not been anywhere near as good for England as he's been for City because at City it's yeah you know, it's a it's a very different environment and Alexander Arnold similarly. Yeah, I mean, I did for another show. I did my England eleven yesterday. I've got to be honest when I do these things, I find it difficult because you do have in the back of your mind what what you think Southgate would do. And I didn't have Foden or Alexander Arnold in, in my eleven. To, to be fair, neither of them were in it, so I can see Southgate's viewpoint with that, and I would kind of go along with it. However, they are both sensational footballers. I'm not saying I don't rate them. I just kind of agree with what you're saying, Jonathan. That they're so used to playing a certain way in such a defined system. It's then hard to come and come, come and play for, for England when you have to yeah. operate differently as a right back and differently if you're in the front three. So yeah, I'd go along with what. I mean, the player I, I think he will pick, who I think he really shouldn't, for, for, in ter- not in terms of the squad, but in terms of the eleven, um, is is Sterling. And it may be that Sterling's form this season has been poor enough that he he doesn't pick him. But if you if you look at it, you want Kane plus a schema plus a runner. I think your runner should be Saka and your schema should be Mount. I suspect that his runner, at least to start with, will be Sterling. Okay. Do you not think that? He, I imagine in the group games in particular, he'll probably play four at the back rather than rather than three at the back. So yeah, but I, I, probably be in that so ten, some, ten slash eight role. Yeah, he could. Yeah, that's that's true. And then yeah, you could, could play Saka and Sterling. That yeah, that's yeah, true. Runners both then bombing on yeah. beyond camp. Then kind of Mount and Kane would get in each other's way a, a little bit in, in some ways. But perhaps that's. Some, I feel sometimes you can't play a number ten with Harry Kane because he likes to drop deep mm. so much. You then end up. Yeah, with, there's, there's a truth to that, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Let's move away from England then, because we are here to preview the Premier League action ahead of the weekend. And it's Newcastle v Chelsea, the first game we're going to look at. The Celestine Babiaro derby, I believe. I believe he played for Newcastle briefly, as well as Chelsea. But Ben, because Kieran Trippier has been such a great signing for Newcastle, we're going to start with the top 10 rated January signings from 2022. Number 10 in there is Nathan Patterson. Uh, Matt Target is in at number 9. 8 is Hassan Kamara, who was obviously relegated with Watford. Uh, Dan Byrne is in at seven, and Ericsson, Kulusevski, and Gimarish. Uh, Bentoncourt is in at three, Louis Diaz at number two, and Kieran Trippier is at number one. I'm surprised Gamarish isn't isn't in higher than the number four in, in that list. But on Kieran Trippier, Jonathan, obviously the best rated January signing by who scored. If you look at a lot of stats going forwards this year, not only is Kieran Trippier one of the, the well, he is the best at Newcastle, he's one of the best in the league. and you know, he's been brilliant for them, hasn't he? In all all manner of ways, including leadership. Yeah, no, he really has. I think, um, yeah, you make a case for Gamarish, but I think probably their most significant signing so far, not for the long term necessarily, but uh, in terms of you know, making that defence better. I mean, defensively, Newcastle have been way, way better uh, this season than I, I than I expected, having seen how many how teams have performed or how his Bournemouth have performed before. But also his his levy of, of crosses and, and set plays. Um so yeah, he's he's just a very, very sensible signing. He's done very, very sensible things very well. He should definitely start for England, shouldn't shouldn't he, Jonathan? Whether it's right back or left back, Trippier should be in that side. I mean, probably, yeah. Uh I mean, yes, I, I think the thing if Reese James were fit, I think that becomes a bit trickier. Because I think you would naturally rather have a you know, a natural left side of player on the left and Luke Shaw um has, has suddenly had a new lease of life um and if you have walker as the right side center back because of his pace um i then think it'd be very very hard to to make a obvious case of trippier over reese james would you then consider playing reese james on the right of the three and leaving walker out well maybe on form this season you would uh but uh, yeah it's it's a difficult decision only because England, are, uh, you were not for the injuries, are blessed with with such a extraordinary glut of good right backs. Yeah, we're going to look now at Newcastle and Chelsea signings. Ben, have, have Newcastle made what you would perceive as a bad signing yet, or have they all been successes? Because I forgot Chris Wood even played for Newcastle in, until the weekend when he, when he scored against Southampton. But you know, as a backup striker, I think he's probably doing a job for them. Have they actually made a, a bad signing yet? It'd be hard pressed to find a bad one in that bunch. I mean, Wood isn't even backup. He's back up to back up. I mean, yeah, Wood's yeah, the first choice. Isaac in there as well. Forget he signed him, even though it's a club record signing. Um, Gamaris has just elevated that midfield. Uh, Dan Byrne has been significantly better than many probably expected. Um, Matt he's been better than he expected back. himself from listening yeah. to his interviews. Um, Nick Pope has been a very good signing between the sticks. And obviously Trippier as well has just been... A very good signing. I mean, everyone, as soon as Newcastle were taken over, expected them to go and splash the cash and spend hundreds of millions on Mbappe and Haaland, etc. But they've just made very good signings that improved the squad. And now they're top four pushing for a Champions League place, which few would have expected when the season started. Yeah, the defence has been a big part of what Newcastle have done, Jonathan. One thing that was always levelled at Eddie Howe at Bournemouth was, oh, you just can't, you can't sort out their defence. He has sorted out Newcastle's defence because they've been brilliant all season. I think they've got the joint best record in in the Premier League. But Dan Byrne's been playing at left-back. Botman's slotted in 
and it's like he's been there his whole life. Trippier, we've already discussed, has, has been sensational. The improvement that Eddie Howe has made to players that are already there, like Fabian Schaar, is there to be marvelled at as, as well. That defence has been a key cog. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess you'd include Nick Pope in that as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they, they're having to play maybe slightly deeper than, than they would ideally because of Pope and not being entirely happy with the ball at his feet, but it just hasn't bothered them at all. They've, they've in, in a sense, being able to play slightly deeper has, has released the, the, the pace there in wide areas. And that might be one of the reasons why Almiron's been so effective that he's got space ahead of him to run into. Uh, I think Sam Maxine as well, before he got injured, it was a similar thing. that they, Their starting position was deeper, so there was more space there. Um, whether that becomes harder as teams begin to respect them a bit more and, and sit off them, uh, we, we'll, we'll see. But certainly for now, um, it's you know, it's going exceptionally well. Chelsea signings, Jonathan. Obviously, we're talking about summer signings here. No, Like we're saying, all the Newcastle signings have, have probably been successful in a lot of ways. Bit underwhelming from from the Chelsea signing so far. Obviously, Fafana's ended up getting injured. Koulibaly Potter doesn't seem to want to play him in the in the Premier League. He started well, but his form has has drifted. But he's had an injury, bit. hasn't he? Yeah, he's injured at the moment, but he's been in and out in general, and not really yeah. played in, in the Premier League. Even when when he's been fit, he's been sat on the bench. Kukurai is having a difficult time. Sterling's probably not hit the heights that they would have hoped. Abamyang's Abamyang, in, in my opinion. You know, he'll be up and down. I, I would think in that Chelsea system. So really. They haven't had a, an outright success from that summer window. Yeah, I know it's early days in the season, in early days for people to bed in and stuff, but you'd maybe expected a bit more from the Chelsea New Boys. Well, yes. Um, but on the other hand, this isn't the manager who signed them. True. And that that's the the, the you know the, the the absurdity of what Chelsea have done. That they went out and spent uh you know, an enormous amount of money, what, 150, 160 million pounds. And then the, the manager who who was leading that, you know, it's not there was a sporting director there who's making these decisions. Tuchel was absolutely involved in that, um, and seems to spend most of his time saying, "I don't want Cristiano Ronaldo." Seems also to have vetoed the Jules Kounde deal, um, or at least not to have been too disappointed when that ended up falling through and he went to Barcelona instead. Um, not convinced he really wanted Cucurella. It was almost, a, you know, he he, he took Cucurella just to say, "Well, I will have one of Todd Bowley's ideas." Um, and then as soon as the window's over, he's out the door. So, I mean, Sterling was talking, was it last week or the week before? You in, he, he was being very reasonable. It wasn't sort of a, it wasn't a rant. It wasn't him sort of saying, oh, I've been let down. But he was saying, you know, I didn't come here to play wing back. I came here to play as a, as a forward. And I don't really know what the manager wants of me or expects of me because this isn't, this isn't the manager I signed for. I, mm. This is not the, the club that I came to. And I think he's got, Every, yeah, I don't think he's been playing well at all. And Potter obviously has every right to, to play in where he thinks is best for the team. But I can understand um, Sterling being unhappy at that. Um, and I, I can't imagine that other players who came in the summer aren't, aren't thinking something similar. Of, well, yeah, hang on. I, I signed for this bloke who has a phenomenal record in Germany, who's managed PSG, who's won the Champions League. And suddenly we've got this bloke from Brighton. Um, and yeah, maybe Potter goes on and becomes a brilliant coach. All the signs are he's he is an excellent coach, but I can completely get why players he signed for a different coach. I haven't sort of thinking, well, hang on, where do I stand here? Yeah, and results have not been great over, over recent weeks. I think they were nine unbeaten at one, one point. But I, I think that, yeah, you look back, masked it. And I, I, th- I think, I mean, you think of the Villa game and how many great saves were made by um, uh, by Kepper. 
Yes. And I think his form maybe did did it wouldn't have taken many of those, you know, say he'd let in an extra goal in say three of those games. And that would have looked very good. I mean, the game at Brentford, they didn't look Chelsea didn't look good either. They they ended up drawing up Madrid up nil nil, didn't they? Yeah. Um there's a couple of games like that, particularly away games where you sort of thought, Yeah, I'm not Yeah, the game at Palace, his first game, they they got away with with that with that very late uh, goal from from Gallia. So yeah, I wasn't saying at the time, but in hindsight, you can sort of say, yeah, they were just sort of, they were teetering a bit and getting away with it. And then suddenly this last sort of couple of weeks, um, maybe a bit of reality's dawned. Yeah, we've got a combined 11. Well, Ben's got a combined 11 and Jonathan's got his as well. So this is, we're starting with the who scored 11 as always. Now, if we'd have done this this time last year, obviously Chelsea were Champions League holders and I think they were going quite well at the time. Newcastle were, were stuck in the relegation zone. I think maybe only won one game or hadn't even won a game at, at this point yet. So I know what the who scored 11 is. I mean, this time last year, this would have been unthinkable, but Ben, what's the 11? Yeah, so we've gone for seven or more appearances so that, it seems a bit of a random number, but it means that they featured in at least 50% of their team's games this season. So in goal, we've got Nick Pope. Uh, right back, we have Trippier, of course. Centre-backs are Fabian Shaw and Thiago Silva. And left-back is Dan Byrne. Midfield three of Joe Ellington, Bruno Gamarish and Mason Mount. And the front three of Miguel Almiron, Callum Wilson and Alan St. Maximum. So Newcastle dominate that 11 with nine players to Chelsea's two. Quite quite like that team, decent team. Jonathan, what did you go for? What's the what's the balance? Well, I've uh, I've played by the rules, which is players who are available this weekend. Uh, who, did he have that, who did who did Ben have that wasn't available? Well, Sam Maxwell's a doubt, I think, isn't he? He might be back, but he, he's come he off the bench a couple of times recently. Yeah, think, but is it? is he fully fit? Can you risk him from the start? Not in a game of this magnitude. Not for me. <laughs> not not in your eleven. Um, so I mean, it's it, my my eleven's not very different at all. Actually, I've only got th- uh, three Chelsea players. Yeah. Okay. So Pope, Trippier, Thiago Silva, Botman, Byrne, uh, Kovacic, Gimaris, Jolinton, Almiron, Wilson, Mount. So Mount playing on the left. Um, as well. Not sure. I'm entirely happy with Thiago Silva playing in a, in, you know, not in the three, playing in a back four. But uh, that's that's what we've got. It could have to, I mean, you'd be just fully justified in picking the Newcastle back five, including the goalkeeper. Yeah, think, yeah, yeah. Especially this season, because they are, that's the thing, they work well as a, as a unit as well. We know that's important when you're picking an 11. Going to need some predictions from you two then for this one. Ben, I'll come to you first. What's your prediction for Newcastle, Chelsea? Um, I think Newcastle probably going to win 3-1. 3-1. I've gone for 2-0 to Newcastle. Jonathan? 1-0 to Newcastle. 1-0 to Newcastle. I'm over an hour in between 1-0 and 1-1, but I'll go 1-0. Yeah, Chelsea could do with the, with the result. Newcastle would kind of pull away from them a little bit in the in the race for the top four if, if uh, they didn't get anything in Chelsea. So it's a, it's a huge, huge game at the top end of the table. A huge game for Chelsea, I would suggest. Next, we're going to look at Fulham against Manchester United. It's the Louis Saha derby. We've kind of already covered Maguire, so I'm not going to go into that too much. But Jonathan... Lindelof came in at the weekend playing in place of Varane, I guess, played next to Martinez. And Manchester United were dominated by one of the best football teams in the land. <laughs> Which I think just shows that this upturn is, it's still has some way to go, that um, they're not consistently excellent yet. I think Ronaldo starting it doesn't help. Um, so I don't know, I sort of assume Maguire will come back in. Uh, given that they kept a clean sheet. I know they were a little bit fortunate to keep a clean sheet against West Ham, but I, I don't think the Lindelof experiment particularly worked. I don't think he did enough to say he is definitely better than Maguire. So 
I would just see Maguire comes back in. Um and and then um you got Ronaldo is up front with uh Anthony definitely out. Um I think there's doubts over uh Sancho as well. Um so yeah, the the the, the I think the issue is more more frontier than, than at the back. I thought it was a strange front four selection against Villa. I thought he might drop in an, an extra central midfielder, maybe let Ericsson come forward a little bit more in in the game against Villa. But I thought that front four just it was never going to function. Garnacho on, on the left, Rashford on the right, and then Van der Beek playing off Ronaldo. That just doesn't sound like a functioning front four for me. And he didn't look like one either, Jonathan. I, I guess um, Bruno Fernandes was suspended, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, which which meant they had to they had to change things and. and but yeah, you're right. The obvious thing to do is to move Ericsson forward and, and bring in Fred. So you've got you know, Brazil, the World Cup favourites, as back in midfield at the back of your, your midfield. But he, I don't know, he doesn't seem to fancy Fred at all, does he? So no. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I surely it'll be Rashford as the centre forward here, and um, with with Fernandes returning from suspension. Uh, and then he doesn't seem to like Alanga uh, as as much as Rangnick did either. So um, that seems slightly slightly odd to me. But yeah, Garnacho seems to have jumped him in, in in the pecking order. But I would say earlier on in the season when Alanga played against Liverpool, I thought he was he was pretty useful for them. He's got a long way to go as, as a footballer, but I thought he, at least his directness. I think he did cause Liverpool problems that day. Let's look a little bit at Fulham now, Ben. Still, still going well. I know they lost to Manchester City at the weekend. Very unlucky to lose to ten man Manchester City. I thought that penalty was a little bit harsh. But even without Mitrovic, they were they were giving Manchester City a game when it was eleven v eleven. And you know, we talk about successful signings. You know, we've done Paulinho a lot on this podcast because I I think he's fantastic. But Pereira as well maligned a little bit at Manchester United. Fans weren't too keen on him, but he's gone to Fulham and he, he plays with some some swagger and he plays with some confidence. Takes responsibility on the ball. Works hard. He's been a good sign in as well. Yeah, it seems like Fulham have kind of learned their lessons from bygone years where they used to sign about 300 players per summer as soon as they came up. Um, you know, Marco Silva was very unhappy with the window before Paulinho came in. They did have a very depleted squad, but even though they did buy or well, bring in a lot of players towards the end of the window, they seem to have just signed signed just players that will fit the system that Silva wants. Um, and Pereira is admittedly one of the um, success stories of those uh, new new arrivals. I mean, four of Fulham's top five rated players, according to who scored, are new signings. Um, you've got Bern Leno in there, William and Pereira, of course, as well. And just Pereira seems to just have had that new lease of life. Uh, he was stag- stagnating under uh, at United. He went, obviously, he was at Flamengo for a bit. It's just not heartwarming, but it's it's good to see that Fulham kind of have seem to have a plan in place now, right? Whereas previously they just were just buying anyone and everyone under the sun. Yeah, and I think most people would have had Fulham to go down at the start of the season, but Jonathan, they'll, they'll probably be nowhere near a relegation scrap. It shouldn't be. It'd have to be a major downturn now. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I think the signings have been more sensible. Um, yeah, there's a lot of players there who. Um, and I guess this is a facet of not having made huge numbers of signings. The players who've played together, there's a, there's a sense of a, of a plan there. There's a core that's been there a couple of years. Um, and Mitrovic is is playing way better this season than he did two years ago. And that's been huge for them, not just in terms of his goals, but just the the, the irritation he causes other defences. 
I think you raise a raise a good point there. I think Fulham, when they've come up previously, perhaps have tried to dismantle players that have done well for them in the Championship. Like I remember Tim Ream being being pretty much cast aside the last time they were in the Premier League. Now he's been a big part of what they've done this season. I think sometimes there is a benefit in keeping some of the players that that got you up and, and harnessing that team spirit. I think that sometimes can be a benefit. It's um, I sort of thought this really with yeah, Forrest is the you know, uh, uh, is the extreme example of this. But if you're a player is in a sort of upper championship squad and you're fighting for promotion. Um, and you still look at teams who go up and then assign an eight, 10, 12 players, or in Forest's case, 24 players, 25 players, whatever it is. Yes, yeah, um, like that it was. If you're something like, I don't know, Joe Lolly, and you're thinking, well, actually, what, what am I grafting for here? I'm grafting to lose my job. Yeah. And, and I, I just sort of think it's a really, it's a very odd sort of negative spiral to get into that. You know, you're, you're disincentivizing players from getting promoted because if they get promoted, they're not going to see the benefits of that. They're not going to get to play at Anfield and Old Trafford and the Etihad. They're not going to get those Premier League contracts and those bonuses. They're not going to get this mass global exposure. They're going to be, um, oh, do you fancy do you fancy a loan at Coventry? Um, and I, I just, I mean, it's just it's a problem of modern football and just how how big a gulf exists between the Championship and the Premier League. But I think it's a very unhealthy world where players trying to get promoted know that it might cost them their job. We don't want to live in an unhealthy world. That, that isn't what we want. Let's do our predictions then, and I will start. Fulham against Manchester United. I am going to go with 2-2. Two, two. Jonathan? 2-1 uh, to Fulham. 2-1 to Fulham. Ben? I was going to go 2-2 two, two as well, but I'm going to change that to one all. I mean, you can still go 2-2. Two, two. You don't have to you have to change it just because it's the same as mine, although with my record, that would <laughs> probably be a good idea to change things. I've been terrible so far this season. That leads us nicely into the just-a-minute section then, Ben, and let's start with the league table. Were there any improvements last week? Any, oh, any I, had a, I, had a, I had a horrible week. I imagine I probably did that. I don't have it to hand. I forgot to load it up. And my computer has been very, very questionable these last couple of days. Last season, I felt like I was taking it more seriously because I liked beating Martin. There was something about beating Martin (laughs) that I just liked. I think I, yeah. I, t- I took it more seriously. I don't want to beat you, Jonathan. That's not what, not what I'm about. You know, no one wants to overtake their hero. It's not what people <laughs> want, but I used to get a lot of joy from beating Martin. Jonathan got two correct outcomes, so up to 37 points. Uh, Dan, you got four correct outcomes, up to 28 points. So Double, Jonathan. Yeah. Come on. Something's gone wrong here. Yeah, because uh, I, I was 20-odd points yeah, clear. Yeah, you were 20-odd points clear. So none of us did very well last week. I think who scored did the best with uh, five correct outcomes. No one got no one got a score bang on at all. No, funnily, funnily enough, the John, the only game that Jonathan went that wasn't one all was Man City Fulham, and that was obviously last kick of the game that meant it wasn't one all. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I forgot about the the, the one all a thumb that Jonathan was on <laughs> last last week. Right, then let's do let's do the just a minute section properly. Then Jonathan, you're up first. It's Manchester City against Brentford for you. Yeah, City obviously still two points off the top somehow. Uh, but they haven't been playing that well by their standards the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think they've they've missed Holland as though they, they've sort of got used to having him there, playing that slightly more direct style uh, rather than that very patient build-up. Um, so they they only beat Leicester 1-0. Didn't look at all fluent in that game. Then the game against Fulham, yeah, had the man sent off early, which obviously made a huge difference. But only won that with the, the what, 93rd minute penalty. Um, Holland should be back to start. Uh, yeah, he, he did go for bench in that game against Fulham. Uh, Cancelo's suspended though because of that red card in the Fulham game. Uh, Walker, I guess, is now a possibility. Um, and Phillips is, is clearly a possibility to come in. 
Uh, Brentford have only won one of the last eight. Uh, they only actually lost three of those, um, but their away form is not good. Only taking four points from seven away games a season. Six players out, plus Jan Elts is doubtful. City won 2 0 at the Edhard last season and won 1 0 um, in Brentford. Uh, but I think City will win this quite easily. 3 0. I'm going to go 3 1 to Manchester City, Ben. 2 0 to Man City. Sorry, 2-0 to Man City. Three different scores there from us. Ben, your first game is Bournemouth against Everton. Bournemouth ended a four-game losing streak in midweek as they smashed Saturday's opponents Everton 4-1 in the Carabao Cup. I hope to repeat the feat this weekend as the Chosen look to improve upon a return of one win in eight in the league. That poor run has seen Bournemouth drop to 17th, just one point above South Coast rivals Southampton. Chris Meppham is suspended for this one, so... Gary Neal will be forced into at least one change from the side that lost to Leeds last weekend. With Lloyd Kelly also absent due to injury, Jack Stevens, who featured alongside Mepham in midweek, may start alongside Marcus Senesi in defence. David Brooks and Neto are out until the World Cup, until after the World Cup, sorry. Uh, Everton's resounding loss at Bournemouth on Tuesday means they have lost five of their last seven all competitions. Their sole away league win this season did come on the South Coast as they beat Southampton at St Mary's last month. But downturn form has seen the Toffees drop to one point and one place above Bournemouth in the table. Mason Holgate was forced off after a knock to his knee on Tuesday, so will be assessed, as will key midfield duo Idrissa Gay and Amadou Onana. Over Andres Townsend and Dominic Calvert-Lewin are sidelined for Everton, with Neil Morpay expected to deputise for the latter. Uh, I think Everton will improve upon their midweek shambles and get a, one, get a draw. One all. Mm, I think Bournemouth are going to win 2-1. Jonathan? 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One one. Poor Dominic Carver Lewin as well. He literally can't catch a break at the moment. Every time he comes back from an injury, he breaks down again. Jonathan, your next one is Nottingham Forest v Crystal Palace, which I believe might be an, an Ian Wright derby. Um I think he finished his career playing for Forest at some point. I'd have to look that up. I'll look it up whilst you, you do your preview. Uh Forest still bottom and still I think in a lot of trouble, but there are some glimmers of hope. Uh they've taken five points from the last four games, which is say half the points they picked up this season. Uh, they've got five players out. I think Steve Cooper's still struggling to work out uh, how to deploy all these players he brought in the summer. So how significant that is, yet again, it's very hard to know. Uh, Palace have won three of the last four and four of the last six. Um, maybe a little bit fortunate to win at West Ham last week uh, with a very late goal. But I think what we're seeing there is their league position improving and results improving as the calendar gets easier for them. They had a very, very tough start, which I think possibly made it look worse than it was there. Uh, the win at West Ham was their first away from home this season, and it's the first time they'd won two games in a row this season. They'll be without MacArthur and Richards. Uh, and I don't think they'll get three wins in a row, but I don't think they'll lose either. 1-1 one, one again. I'm going to go big 3-0 to Crystal Palace. Ben? Uh, I'm going to go for nil-nil. Yeah, Palace have got the got the hooder of, of uh, the away games over now after last week with that late win. So I think I think they can I think they can beat Forest. Ian Wright did play for Nottingham Forest, by the way, towards the end of his career in a massive shirt from the picture that I just saw. I was also surprised to learn that he's 60 next year. Didn't think Ian Wright was was that old. That's scary when the player that you know I'm 37, a player I watched when I was younger, probably one of the first footballers I will have watched. He's nearly 60. Don't like that at all. Tottenham v Leeds for you, Ben. Tottenham were unable to follow up their 2-1 loss to Liverpool last weekend as they crashed out of the Carabao Cup at the hands of Nottingham Forest on Wednesday night. Back-to-back defeats doesn't make for great reading for Antonio Conte and he'll be demanding a return to winning ways when they welcome Leeds to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Conte's first league win as Spurs boss actually came in this fixture last season. 
Their injury issues have cleared up of late, with Sun Hyung Min and Christian Romero the only confirmed absentees, with Richarlison and Dayan Kulisevsky both featuring off the bench at the City Ground on Wednesday night. As such, Conte may revert to a 3-4-3 given the returns of the pair, with Kulisevsky in line to make his first start for Spurs since the 6-2 win over Leicester in mid-September. Spurs may have viewed the welcome of Leeds as the perfect opponent to help head into the World Cup break on a high, but back-to-back league wins for the Whites over Liverpool and Bournemouth have, has eased the pressure on Jesse Marsh. They did crush out the they did crush out the Carabao Cup in midweek, but have recently ended an eight-game winless run in the league, and they will be a much tougher proposition for the North London side this time around. Patrick Bamford will be assessed, but Marsh is without Luis Sinistero, Stuart Dallas, Joe Gelhart, Adam Forshaw and Archie Gray. Sam Greenwood impressed off the bench against Bournemouth last week and will surely come to Marsh's thoughts here, while winger Wilfred Nutto also played a key role in Leeds' superb fight back against the Cherries. However, I don't think it will be enough to claim a win on Saturday, I think Spurs will win 2-1. Jonathan, what I ever think? Uh, also Spurs 2-1. Uh, I'll go for 2-1 Spurs as well. Play it safe. A defensive selection from me there. Jesse Marsh's subs last week, by the way, absolutely turned the game. Some, some great substitutions there. Uh, West Ham-Leicester for you, Jonathan. Yeah, West Ham have only won one of the last five in the league. Um, and I think there's a sense of the the, the for the last two wins they have had, they've only won four out of 14 this season. For the, for the last two wins they have had, I think they've both been slightly fortunate, um, being gifted penalties and goals that maybe should have been ruled out at the London Stadium. Having said that, they were very unlucky not to get an equaliser at Old Trafford. Uh, and easily, you know, they, they had that chance just before Palace scored last week, so they could have won that 2-1. Uh, but there is just a little bit of pressure, I think, on David Moyes now, a little bit of grumbling from fans, which maybe isn't entirely fair. Uh, but... Uh, at the same time, I think there is a concern that um, the the signings that came in the summer aren't necessarily his type of player and they are maybe struggling mm. to gel. Leicester now above West Ham on goal difference, uh, which you certainly wouldn't have thought could be true three or four weeks ago. They've won three of the last four. Yuri Tillemans is playing well again and he's scored two great goals in that time. Um, still all the familiar injuries, Pereira, Bertrand, Justin Sionchi all out. Uh, doubts over Ben Rama and Corner for West Ham. West Ham won this 4-1 last season, but I think it'll be much tighter this time. 1-1. I'm going to go 2-0 to Leicester, Ben. I think it will be 1-0. 1-0. Sorry, Jonathan, I had a weird noise whilst you were doing your, your just a minute as well. I, I it's agreed, a noise of agreement, yeah. I, I, I agreed can't... so hard with what you were saying that I felt the need to make a noise. I'm usually very <laughs> quiet during the just a minute section, but I agree. That's the first time in all the time we've been doing this, you've agreed with anything I've said. No, no, no. Um, it's the first time no, we've just I, I know, made a noise. Make when you agree, it's fine. It's fine. Oh. It was a very mostly, noise mostly well. indifference, but uh, yeah, that's what I'm aiming for to get you to go. Mm. Mm. It, um, it's, a, it's a noise I'm not going to make again because I think it did sound a little bit weird in the middle. In the middle, it was of very, uh, it was very jazz club. I thought, nice, good show, Fasha. Good show back oh, in the day. Show. What a show! They don't make them like that anymore. Uh, where, where, where are we? Liverpool v Southampton for you, I think it is, Ben. And just as Liverpool being written off ahead of their trip to Tottenham, the Reds pulled out a first away league win of the season as they return to Merseyside with a 2-1 win. Along with their penny shootout win over Derby in midweek, Liverpool have now won three on the bounce in all competitions. They did lose their last home game, home league game, however, falling to a shock 2-1 defeat to Leeds. Jurgen Klopp made 11 change for the Carabao Cup success in midweek, but we should see a familiar-looking 11 to the one that started the win over Spurs this weekend. Joel Matip, Naby Keita and James Milner will all be assessed, though the former pair are likely to miss out. Louis Diaz, Diogo Jota and Arthur Mello are ruled out. Nathan Jones endures a, ba- endures a baptism of fire following his appointment to Southampton boss on Thursday morning. He's penned a three-and-a-half-year deal at St Mary's following two notable stints at Luton, 
either side of a subpar spell at Stoke. Saints are currently sat in the relegation zone. He has his work cut out to turn the club's fortunes around with a run of one league win and nine costing Ralph Hasenhutl his job. Jones is without fullback pair Carl Walker Peters and Tino Livramentos for his first game in charge, and it does remain to be seen how his side will set up at Anfield. Having used a three man backline for the most part with Luton this season, logic does dictate he'll adopt a similar setup at Liverpool. I do think he'll get up to a losing start, though, and I think Liverpool will win 3 1. Tentative 1 0 to, to Liverpool. I think Southampton will sit quite deep, but Liverpool will break them down. Jonathan? 2 0, Liverpool. 2 0 to Liverpool. Uh, big one for you, Jonathan. I'm going to Brighton on Sunday. It's Brighton v Villa. Uh, Brighton won the last two in the league and then got the League Cup win at Arsenal uh, midweek. Uh, and that after four games out of win after De Zerbi replaced Graham Potter. Uh, he's had the better XG in five or six league games, though. And I think he's a little bit, A, a little bit unfortunate, and B, um, the, the fixtures he had, having to play Liverpool and Tottenham uh, and Manchester City, made that record look look worse than it was. Uh, still without Moda, everybody else should be fit. I think the only problem with Brighton really is the old issue at centre-forward, that they're just not taking chances. Um, Villa without Coutinho and uh, Diego Carlos. Uh, three points above relegation zone, uh, one, two, and lost three of the last five. Uh, and those two wins were both the first games for new managers. Uh, you would assume things will settle down under Unai Emery. Had obviously had a great start last week against Manchester United, uh, ending that 27-year hoodoo against United at uh, Villa Park. Uh, Villa won both fixtures between 2-0 last season, uh, but their win at Brighton last time is in that weird run of six defeats in a row Brighton had, so maybe not too much to read into that. I think Brighton will win 1-0 go against you and say Villa are going to win 2-1 and I'm going to have the weekend of my life in Brighton. Ben? 2-1 uh, to Brighton. You too, honestly. Right. Wolves v Arsenal to finish, Ben. Yep. Steve Ta- Steve Davis takes charge of Wolves for the final time this weekend with Julian Le Potager taking over the reins once the break for the World Cup starts next week. Davis did oversee a win in his penultimate game at the Molyneux Helm as Wolves booked their spot the next round of the Carabao Cup beating Leeds 1-0. However, they have failed to win in four in the league and remain three points off safety. Once again, Davis is without a host of four players with Diego Costa, Sasha Kaladzic, Raul Jimenez and Pedro Neto injured. But summer signing Matias Nunes has a chance of featuring here. Nathan uh, Nelson Semedo has served a suspension and is available, which is timed well as Johnny is set to miss the welcome of Arsenal. The Gunners, like so many Premier League sides, exited the Carabao Cup in midweek as they lost to Brighton at home. However, supporters won't be too fussed by that loss as they focus their efforts on remaining top of the Premier League for the World Cup break. A 1-0 win at Chelsea last weekend means they remain two points clear of Manchester City. Mikel Arteta has no fresh injury concerns to contend with as Emil Smith-Rowe and Taikiro Tomiyasu miss out. Alexander Sinchenko made his first start since the North London derby win last month in the 1-0 victory at Chelsea and should start a left-back. But Arteta has a settled system and a side that is unlikely to change here and I think they'll win 2-0. 3-0 to Arsenal for me. Jonathan? 1-0 to Arsenal. 1-0 to the Arsenal. Thank you very much to you both for your just-a-minute sections there. Right, team of the season so far we're going to finish with. We've all done an 11. Well, Ben hasn't. Ben's got who scores 11. But Jonathan and myself have done a team of the season so far because obviously we're breaking for the World Cup now, so it seems a good time to do that kind of thing. I've completely forgotten what my 11 was. So, Ben, do you want to start with yours? And I'll try and conjure mine up from my phone. Yep, so the who scored one so far has Bern Leno in goal with a who scored rating of 7.11. No goalkeeper has made more saves than him. Uh, Trippier is at right back. He's third for key passes, second for big chances created. And he's actually made the Premier League Team of the Week in eight of 14 appearances this season. Fabian Shaw features at centre-back. 
Uh, he's played his partner defensively because he just 11 goals. And he's partnered by James Tarkovsky. As Everton have only conceded 14 goals and he ranks third for clearances. Running off the defence is João Cancelo, who's enduring another solid season. He's got two goals and one assist and is top for dri dribbles of defenders. On the right, we have James Madison. Uh, he has six goals and four assists for an underwhelming Leicester side, whereas Kevin De Bruyne features in midfield. He's top for key passes, big chances created and assists. Partnering De Bruyne in the middle of the park is Bruno Gimaraes, and he's been excellent in every area of the pitch. He's got three goals, two assists, 2.6 tackles, 1.3 interceptions and 1.5 key passes per game. And running off midfield is Phil Foden. He has six goals and three assists, and he's three goals away from matching his best return in the Premier League season. Up front, as the player of the season so far, is Erling Haaland. He's got 18 league goals, and with no World Cup, should be well-rested to add to that when the action gets back underway next month. And joining him up front is maybe a contentious choice, but Gabriel Jesus. He's got five goals and five assists this season, and he's the second most valued player in the division, which is handy because Arsenal ranked third for set-piece goals scored when you're excluding penalties. Jonathan, do you want to do your turn? Pickford in goal. Uh, I had a real issue with the right side, um, and I ended up... Basically, I could have gone for two Arsenal players or two Newcastle players. I've gone for one of each. Uh, so I've gone Trippier at right-back, but it could have been White. Uh, Centre-back, Thiago Silva and Botman. Cancelo at left-back. Uh, Bendenkur at the back of midfield uh, with Caicedo shuttling alongside him. De Bruyne as the creator. Then Saka, but it could have been Almiron on the right side of the front three. And Holland and Martinelli. Interest, how many did you have the same as who scored? I don't know. Okay. No quick, no quick maths. Okay. I'll do my team then. Gone, I've obviously been heavily influenced by Unai Emery at the weekend because I've gone with a 4-2-2-2 formation, which is what, what Villa lined up with at the weekend. So I've gone with Pickford in goal, Trippier at right-back, a centre-half partnership of Saliba and Botman with Cancelo at left-back. I've got João Paulinho and Bruno Gamarej as my two in midfield. And then Madison and Martinelli slightly further forward with Haaland and Kane up front. That's my team. I like that too. That's one who, of my... So, who, who are your fullbacks? Uh, Trippier and Cancelo. Okay. Because oh, they're going to have to. They're going to have to do a lot of work, aren't they? Oh, of course, but you know, the, uh, Bardell yeah. team works hard. If nothing else, that's <laughs> what they do, Jonathan. That's how we how we get this play. If we could, Ben, if we could put those teams up on uh, on social and get some votes and see who the who scored public thinks is the best, I'd, I'd appreciate that. That's the happiest I've ever been with anything I've done, actually. I'm, pl I'm pleased with that. Anything you've ever done in my life? Yeah, I've not achieved not achieved very much, Jonathan. But this team today, that team's going places. I like that team quite a lot. Uh, ben, surprise package so far of, of the season. Yep. So we've gone for the biggest rating increase from last season to this season. Last season, you've had to have made at least twenty appearances, and this season, ten. So it's Arsenal heavy to start off with. We've got Xhaka, Jesus, and Erdegaard in tenth, ninth, and eighth. Then Joe Linton breaks up the Arsenal contingent with Gabriel Martinelli returning uh, there in fifth, sixth, sorry. In fifth is Pickford, fourth Shah, third Rashford, Pascal Struik is in second, and the most improved player slash surprise package is Miguel Almiron. Uh, eight goals yeah. this season. He is one of matching his return for his entire Newcastle career prior to this season. So definitely a worthy, worthy surprise package. You got anyone who wasn't in there, Jonathan, or do you think? Well, I, I, I slightly I interpreted the question slightly differently. That's quite. Um, and just in terms of a player who I knew nothing about, uh, who I think has been brilliant, is Moisés Casado, and yeah. I saw him that first weekend of the season when Brighton won at Old Trafford, and in, you know, looked at the team sheet, was like, oh, who's this bloke? And within ten minutes, like, Christ, this guy's brilliant, and he's what nineteen? Is he twenty yet? I don't know. Maybe maybe he has turned twenty, but I'm pretty sure he was nineteen that first day of the season. 
Um, and yeah, Ecuador, not a, not a guaranteed World Cup qualifier. And he's clearly one of the major reasons why, why they have got there. Yeah, I, I just picked Xhaka because I just think he's been incredible for Arsenal this season. Real reinvention of Granit Xhaka and the Arsenal fans now love him when they hated him before. But I think Almir on being top is probably fair because this time last year, again, he probably hadn't even scored a goal so far in the season. And he's, he's just been brilliant for Newcastle. He, he can't keep scoring at a worldie every week, surely. He can't, even Eddie Howe said in his press conference, he, he, he can't just keep doing that. But at the moment, he seems to bend one in from range every single week. Ben, biggest flop. Yep, season the same parameters. Uh, running off the from 10 to 1 is Mikel Antonio, Dama Traore, Conor Gallagher, Jared Bowen, Jamie Vardy, John McGinn, Mateo Kovacic, Ronaldo's in at 3, Basuma probably harshly done by because most of his appearances have been a sub at his second. And the biggest flop with the biggest uh, drop in who scored rating is Trent Alexander-Arnold. Uh, he's been directly involved in just one goal, and that was his goal in the 9-0 win against Bournemouth. While key passes per game has dropped, so there has been a dip in his attacking output. Did Trent make the best rated England eleven earlier? Yeah, but his rating has had such a severe drop that he's actually the biggest flop. That's an up-and-down show for Trent Alexander-Arnold. Chuffed to be in the best rated England eleven, but then named as the biggest flop. You wouldn't have expected that, would you? Jonathan, who, who have you got down as the biggest flop? This is not a kind title, by the way, at all. Yeah, I mean, declining form, does that make you a flop? I don't know. I, again, I, I sort of interpreted it a little bit more literally than that. Uh, so the player have sort of been... Have I even been disappointed? And maybe that's not quite fair either. Because he's a player who I've always had slight doubts about. But I just think Raheem Sterling's looked so leaden at at Chelsea. And he's he's, he's one of those players who, you know, you, you want him to succeed. You know, he he, he clearly works hard. He, he seems a very sort of, he doesn't seem particularly affected by ego. He seems fairly likable. But I, I just, I get very frustrated by how often he, he gets in good positions and just picks the wrong option or just duffs the cross. And, and I, I sort of did wonder whether the City system was sustaining him. And you look at how he's been at Chelsea, and there's little flickers there, but, yeah, really not much. Uh, and I, I think he hasn't played particularly well for England either, the two games this season. Yeah, I, I've got to be honest, I completely forgot to pick one. So I haven't got anyone who's springing to mind. Ronaldo would have to be up there. Honestly, I, I watched him. Oh, he was hopeless last season. Come on, he was terrible last season. I mean, but at least he put the ball in the back of the net, Jonathan. yeah. Which is, you know does help in, in in football terms, but I was watching him at Villa Park last Sunday, and I wouldn't say I felt sad for him because obviously I was really enjoying Villa playing well for the for the first time in what felt like forever. But it was quite it was quite sad watching him plod around the football pitch, just not really involved in anything at all, getting getting frustrated with himself, getting frustrated with his teammates, which isn't a new thing. But it's just just a sad sad end really for someone who, who did a lot for the Premier League the, the last time he was in it. I just didn't really enjoy watching him at all. I could always throw Emerson Royale in there. Always, I always feel quite sad watching him hopelessly navigate the right-hand side for, for Spurs. They've got to get a right wing back in, really. I mean, what was the point of signing Jed Spence if you're going to play Emerson Royale? He was 100% not a wing-back of, over Jed Spence. I think just just give him a go, can't say, come on, have some fun. The Spurs fans can't even... Spurs. I'll ask you, Ben. You must see him as a real weakness on that Spurs right-hand side when he plays. It's silly sending off the other week as well. Every Spurs fan, you're hard-pressed to find one that actually thinks he's a success. Um, he's just... Too erratic. He can't cross the ball to save his life. And I mean, if 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 it were me and I was in charge, I'd probably play Doherty at the moment and then bed Jed Spence in sooner. Um, 
better in slowly, sorry. Um, but I just, every time you see Emerson Ryan on the team sheet, you just let out a very audible sigh just because yeah. you know what's coming and it's not very good. No, I mean, he couldn't bed Jed Spence in any slower if, if, if he tried at the moment. He's got he's got to be worth a go over Emerson Royale. Maybe as a defensive fullback, I think Emerson Royale might be okay. But he's, he's just not a wingback. I think you're asking him to do something that, that he's not capable of doing. So, yeah, that's a sad end for the podcast for, for Emerson Royale there. And that, and that is the end of, of the last podcast that we're doing on the Premier League before the World Cup break. But we will be here with World Cup content throughout the tournament. So keep your eye on the YouTube channel. Subscribe with your post notifications on and keep an eye on the socials as well if you want some World Cup content. Jonathan, I hope you have a wonderful time in Qatar. When are you going? Next Thursday. Next Thursday. Well, I wish you a safe trip. And Are we not do... doing a, a World Cup podcast before that? Yeah, next Wednesday. Okay. Well, you know, still, it's, it's nice to wish someone's safe travels when they're going. I'll do it again. I'll do it again on Wednesday. But obviously, you know, the, the viewers would want to know that you're going out to, to the World Cup. It's, it's pleasing. I'm, I'm excited for you, Jonathan. Thanks ever so much for the boys, for the boys. Thanks ever so much to the guys for, for joining me today, the boys. Where do I think I am? Thanks ever so much for watching as well. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you enjoyed us going through the England squad as well. Something a bit different today. And as ever, stay safe.